Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years. I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the Editorial and Marketing Director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon and Cleveland, Ohio. We have over 700 books, over 25 employees, and we make about 40 new books every year. And we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers. We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry. This week, we are going to talk a little addendum to... A few weeks ago, we talked about the Penguin Random House Simon & Schuster merger trial. And one of the things that a lot of, I don't know, the people that want to sound smart talking a lot about the trial have pointed out is that the assertion by Penguin Random House's expert counsels are that um, only 4% of their books earn out. And so... And they basically said that public, uh, profit and loss statements are guesses, and they don't know what they're doing, and they're just kind of putting numbers together to look like they're doing their job. And then... When you have to say that in court, whew. Yeah, it's awkward. Um, and then agencies had a bit of a gotcha moment where they're like, wait, you don't know what you're doing, so you're admitting it's all made up? But, you know, again, there's two worlds of publishing there's independent publishing, and there's Big Five publishing, and these two do not really bear much in common. And honestly, if you know what you're doing, and you know how to put together a P&L, you don't make it up. You would use the best available data. I think a lot of what they're saying is that for these, you know, 91% of top anticipated books, which is what they sort of clamor for, and kind of is what the whole trial is about, is getting down the costs of those for them. You don't know what it's worth because you don't know by the time you pay Barack Obama $2 million if you will or not in advance that big. And, you know, and so that's a lot of it. Whereas, and those are admittedly much, much harder to guess, you know, because you just don't know for a lot of these personalities, like, how many of their fans read? <laughs> you know, like, will they buy a book? <laughs> will they just listen to the interviews and be like, oh, that's so great. Bill O'Reilly wrote another book. How wonderful. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know if he's still writing books, but probably. But, you know, so a lot of it is just about... You know, so what goes into a P&L, Ellie? Oh, you're asking me, the marketing and editorial person, what goes into a P&L? I guess I should know this. Pop quiz. <laughs> well, you talk about the profits and expenses that you expect to come out of a book. Mm-hmm. That's profits and losses. And so. then what do you do? And then you do some basic math at the end, and you see if that number is positive or negative. And if it's negative, you either don't publish it or you change the parameters. You adjust the budget. You adjust the budget. And if it's positive, then that's great. Maybe you can give the author more of an advance. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they'll just earn it more in royalties. Maybe everyone will win. So, and to clarify, because there is a lot of confusion around this matter, I have heard it thrown around quite a bit this month that 
advances are the money that allows the author to leave their job to write the book been you know get take time away from the rest of their professional pursuits that is not correct advances are anticipated projected sales for the book that they are writing so you're basically saying we think you'll make at least this much money but then that's been severely distorted because by the auction system and the like agency model and you know there is the the one famous agent who I wrote about in the book who <laughs> said that if his author does not earn out their advance, meaning they get paid more than they should have, then he has done his job. <laughs> it's like, that's eh, pretty good, but it may not last. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like, being able to quit your job and write a book is nice. This is a little bit of a sidetrack, but, like, I don't recommend it because it is actually a lot easier to write a book when you don't have that much time than it is when you have endless time. Wait, you quit your job and wrote a book once. How did that go? It was really stressful and it took me forever to write the book and then I wrote the whole book in four weeks. Hmm, okay, so Ellie recommends <laughs> not lobbying for an oversized advance and maybe just letting the book sell and getting paid at a later date, maybe? Yeah, I recommend, like, I mean, I feel like if it was the 80s or 90s and you could actually make a living writing then yes but also like you kind of want proof of concept of that to keep your day job this is really a tangent this is a whole different episode and my um i mean i have received a number of small advances but i will say it is much more comforting to get residual payments years later than it is to get a large check up front and have all that pressure because that can eat you too but from like a publisher's perspective when you're like doing your P&Ls, which hopefully you're doing accurately based on data that you already have and not lying in order to, I don't know, yeah, and this is the problem. yourself. A lot of times people lie on the P&L to produce the outcome and concepts that they want. Yeah, so so long as you're being honest on your P&L and have like a realistic sense of what you're going to publish, then you can know like what kind of advance you can afford to pay the author and make sense to pay the author. Mm-hmm. Like, and but paying the author is far from your only expense. Yeah. So that also determines like the book's production values. Like, right. is it hardcover? Does it have French flaps? Is it full color? Does it have illustrations? Even just things like the amount of time it will take production to do the design of the book. If it has you know sixteen hundred photos with captions and right. Things like that, you know, it can really add up. How and much then, time do you need an editorial? And then if you have other licensing costs that you have to renew each year, things like that, they just can really add up. Now, one thing that is important that you should not forget, I'll write this down, is take a book that you've already published that is demonstrably similar to this one and look how many copies you've sold net you know, sales minus returns, and look at that number, and then subtract all of your expenses for that book, and look at how well it performed. And, and then look in the mirror and say, this book is reasonably similar enough to that book that I believe it will sell comparably. And then see if that will in fact do that you know and you know there's always things you cannot predict like global pandemics 
paper price increases, things like that. Wild success. But you really want to base your numbers on the most likely outcome of that book doing similar to this book. And, you know, if you can look yourself in the eye and say that you believe that is the most likely outcome, then you're doing great. That's the deal. And, uh, you know, and then you go from there. Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm. On Facebook at microcosm publishing. On Instagram at microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.